Let's read from God's word and then we'll jump in together this morning. You can see there's a really encouraging title on the screen for us today. <laughs> the, the funny thing is if you have one of those chair Bibles or like my Bible in front of you and you look at the kind of heading for what we're about to read, the, the phrase is death comes to all. So same thing. My wife said, well, that's a little nicer. I said, okay. She goes, but that sounds like you. So um, if you watch my wife when I preach, there's always some moment where she just shakes her head like this. So I figured we'd get that out of the way at the beginning uh, with the title. Listen to what God's word has to say this morning from Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And really, this is the writer kind of coming to the, the summit of the mountain that he's been climbing, the trails he's been walking around. This is really kind of a high point in the book. And then there's a section of individual Proverbs, and then there's kind of the wrap up. Uh, so I'll preach this week and next week and get through those individual Proverbs and Daniel preach the next two wrapping up Ecclesiastes. But, but this is really him spinning his wheels all the way kind of to, to the top, if you want to say it that way. And listen to what he says. But all this, this is God's word, all this I laid to heart, examining it all. I thought about everything. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. We've been, we've been looking at nails and goads, things that stabilize our life, things that, that kind of uh, push us. And that, that sentence right there is a nail. You should underline that. Your life, if you know Jesus, your life is in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears an oath is the idea there, not you know, using bad language, but who, who makes promises, makes commitments. He who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. And now he, he piles on a little bit. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Let's pray together. Oh God, this is your word. These are your people. This is, this is your time. You have, you have set aside the first day of the week because of the resurrection of Jesus, so that we would gather as your people and worship you. So we're, we're really not on our time this morning. We're on your time. <clears throat> and it is our prayer that you might be present with us in very clear and evident ways as we hear from you. God, would you take all my words and, and purify them, clean them up, help me to stay out of the way of what you have to say today. And God, would you reach into each heart and each life and stir and shake and, and convict by your spirit who, who does convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
Would you comfort the discouraged, encourage them? Would you, would you spark to life those who are going their own way? Would you call us all to take another step as we follow you? Thank you that you have not left us alone. You have given us your word and you have given us the Holy Spirit, the comforter who is with us. May you do all your holy work, all your holy will in us and through us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, everyone dies. As much as that is sobering, it's true, isn't it? It's a reality that we all live in. And the truth is, to some degree or another, we all live in the shadow of death. It is a certain reality. And some people try hard to avoid death, to ignore it. I actually heard from a, a fellow pastor a couple years ago that, and I don't know if this is still a fact, but it was true at the time. Did you know that in Park City there are no funeral homes? And he said, he goes, I think, he was a pastor up in Park City. He said, I think it's because this is a place where we just want to like, not think about that. Ignore that reality. Sometimes we try to minimize it, but the truth is if we think about death, it's a serious thing, isn't it? It's weighty. It, it might be scary in some ways. But we all know it's inevitable one way or the other. And so as the writer of Ecclesiastes comes to the end of his thinking, he said at the beginning of chapter 9 that he's thought about it all, this is where he settles. And, and I think if we can be honest, as much as it's not a topic, you know, hopefully you don't go, you know, to Thanksgiving here with family in a couple weeks and go, sit down to him and go, so what about death? You know, that'd be weird. As much as we don't want to talk about it, the reality is that I think most of us want to know what God says about it. We, we, want, we want and need help in our thinking and in our living in the shadow, in, rea- in the reality of death. I remember when Tim was first born that I, we spoke with a lot of older parents and to a person, they almost all said the same thing without fail. By the way, if you're a younger parent, you should connect with and listen to an older parent. I think one of the challenges in our society is that all our young parents' loudest voice is another young parent. It's like a whole bunch of young parents talking together. Well, that's, that's cool if you want good social media posts, but it's actually not cool if you want advice and wisdom. That's why the Bible says the older women should teach the younger women, because they have perspective. When Tim was little, we were actually really struggling with uh, feeding him in his first few days of life, my wife was, and we really weren't sure what to do, and it was very distressing. As a first-time parent, that can be a very traumatic thing. And by the way, there's a lot of younger parents with very strong opinions about how you should feed a child if you really love them. Hmm. That's interesting. And there was this older mom, and she came to see us, and we were struggling Tim wasn't eating. His blood sugar was super low. He actually ended up in NICU for a night because he was struggling. And we found out in the end it's because he wasn't getting enough food. That's what, he can eat. We know that now. But he was struggling. And this older mom came and she sat with us and Colleen's crying. It's a very hard thing. It's very emotional. And, and I don't even grasp it, right, as a guy in the same way. 
And this older, wise mom walked with God, had multiple adult children, said, um, can I help you? And my wife was like, please help me. And she said, do you know what your job is as parents? Your job is really simple. Just make sure he's fed. She, sa- she said, look around the room. You don't know which children, now adults, ate one way or the other. Your job as a parent is to make sure he has food. That's it. And if God is closing one door and you need to go another door, it's okay, it's just food. I mean, good night. In six months, he's gonna be eating oatmeal, you know? He's gonna be chowing on stuff. It's okay. And I just remember our souls kind of went, oh, good. And God brought us through that because there's advice and wisdom and counsel. That's a free sidebar, okay? But, but when we think about the value of that advice, I remember lots of parents saying to us, enjoy every phase of Tim's life because the days are long, how have you heard this? But the years are short. Can I, can I say this to us? Our lives, this is, a, this is a God idea. Our lives are like a what? Vapor. And so to hear what God has to say about death and how we should think about it is really, really important. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes takes us to this place. How should we live? How should we think? Right? Our big idea this morning is this. Since everyone dies, followers of Jesus should cherish life and prepare for death. Since everyone dies, followers of Jesus should cherish life and prepare for death. The first thing he says, my life, Josh, we're having a minute with this thing today. He was fighting it. There we go. The first thing the writer says is this, God's people are in God's hand. You see that? All this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. I love what the commentator on Ecclesiastes says uh, about this. Give me that next one, Josh. I'll have to work tag team with you today. He says this. Is it, this might be a little small for you. Hopefully you can see it. He says, for the faithful believer in Jesus, the hand of God is an image of comfort and assurance. We know that the hand of God is a hand of love. And I love this next sentence. Let, let this sink in your heart a little bit. We know this because we know that the hands of Jesus were pierced for our sins when he was nailed to the tree. You want to know that being in God's hands is a safe place to be? Just remember. This gives us hope and the faith to leave everything in our lives in God's hands. All our burdens, all our trials, and all our cares. Listen, if you left this morning and the only thing you remembered was verse 1, If you know Jesus as your Savior, you are in the hand of God. What an incredible comfort and help. You say, but my life! Man, welcome to all our lives. See, here's the thing. You look around this room today and you think other people's lives are like peaceful, calm waters. And you just don't know them well enough to know. Because sitting around this room are people with all kinds of challenges, all kinds of struggles, who have had all kinds, some, some of you have had weeks that make you stand up and cheer. 
And some of you have had weeks that make you lie down and weep. And some of you have had a mixed bag of all that, haven't you? But for the righteous and the wise and those who are following the Lord, you sit in his hand. Remember John chapter 10? The father who gave you to me is greater than all and no one can take you out of his hand. What a comfort. And then, kind of coming off that, the writer launches into verses two through six. And we listen to that together and here's the truth that comes out of those verses. Oh, I wanted to tell you this. Thank you. Uh, This is a quick aside. Death is a constant part of our life, isn't it? Here's the aside. This week, we carved a pumpkin. It was kind of cool because it was a pumpkin that came out of our garden. Now listen, don't give us any credit for that. We are, if you know us at all, this is not an impressive feat. we We just got lucky with a pumpkin thing that grew stuff. God did it. He grew stuff. We carved a pumpkin this week. And I asked my son, what do you want to carve the pumpkin? And he pulled out a Pokemon card. He has Pokemon for, for fun. He pulled out a Pokemon card and he brought it over. And the name of the Pokemon card was Coughing with a K. K-O-F-F-I-N-G. Now, sometimes I'm an oblivious father. I don't know if any of you other people are in this boat. You come home from work and you're kind of there, but you're kind of oblivious, okay? That's me, self-confession. So I was like, fine, great. He goes, it's an easy one. So he gave me the card. I started drawing it. I drew it on the pumpkin. We carved it. I'm super proud of this pumpkin. I'm like, look at this. We didn't destroy it, right? We had one shot and it worked out. But you see what that guy is? He's like the world's cutest skull and crossbones. Can everybody see that except me? Right? And can everybody gather from his name that coughing is a little takeoff on what? Coffins. So you're like, awesome. My pastor celebrates Halloween. His kid plays Pokemon, and he did that. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. So those of you who will feel better about your relationship with God by judging us and what we do can get that all out of your system right now. And then you could say, praise God, we have lay pastors because that guy needs help. And this week, God was like, you're going to study on death comes to all. And I'm like, look at that. It's everywhere. <laughs> all right, there we go. Now, those verses. Verses two through six, the writer says, everyone dies, but being alive is better. Better than what? Being dead. Did you see that? The same thing is gonna happen to everyone. That's what the verse says. It actually says that phrase, same event, multiple times. Death is the great equalizer. Just within the last, you know, few months, A pastor that God has used greatly around the world and in our country, Tim Keller, died. Some of you saw that. A famous basketball coach, uh, to some of you who are in a previous generation, Bobby Knight died. Uh, If you're familiar with that name, he has a conflicted life story, if there is ever one, right? And then if you are into, you know, TV shows and movies, Matthew Perry died at 54, I think, the last, last two weeks ago, last week. Death is the great equalizer. And I appreciate that, that the writer of Ecclesiastes acknowledges that people of all different life choices die. All different life activities. Look what he says. It's the same for all, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, the clean and the unclean, the person who sacrifices and the one who doesn't, the one who uh, is good and is a sinner, the one who makes oaths and the one who doesn't. Whether we've made different life choices, we actually have a different heart character, we have a different level of personal carefulness, 
a different level of religious participation. These are all in these phrases. A different uh, level of commitments in life. Everyone dies. People live in contrasting ways, but they share a common destiny. They all die. It's actually even easier to say they all die than we all die, isn't it? And interestingly, look in verse 3, what the author of Ecclesiastes says. He says in verse 3, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. He almost says, it's just not right. Have you ever felt that way? I've known people who lived in a way that seemed like they should die and they kept living. People who wanted to die and kept living. And I've known people that it feels like they're snuffed out in, in, from a human perspective too soon. By the way, there is no too soon with God. He knows all our days. But the writer, I think, expressing his frustration is like, it just doesn't seem right that no matter what life choices a person makes, everybody dies. And then he piles on a little bit and says, and by the way, people at a heart level are a mess. Do you see that? Also, as if we needed more, verse three, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. This flies in the face of a culture that says people are basically what? Good. We actually all have like evil in our hearts. We struggle. We sin. We go down roads. And, and by the way, this is one of the, I think one of the mistakes we make in a context like this is we try to maybe like dress up and present ourselves in such a way that we don't have issues. Every one of us has issues. And, and, and Jesus said, those issues don't come from outside of us. They actually are in us. Out of a man's heart. You can clean up the outside as much as you want. You can fix the environment and the education and the money and everything. And the real issues are in here. And that's why if you want, if you want a stark look at human nature, read Romans chapter three. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so in the face of what he's already said, isn't it interesting that where he goes next? Verse four, but he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. This is the first stuffed animal we bought Tim. It's really special to me. A lion, that idea is special to me in a few ways. But we, I remember buying this at a, a pharmacy, sort of um, had a little store on the main street of the town we lived in. It was the first stuffed animal we ever bought him. It has created a problem in our house. Now we have like way more stuffed animals than any child will ever need. And for some reason, whenever we go somewhere and he gets a bunch of tickets at an arcade or something, he wants another one. And I'm like, buddy, we are so far past need here. But isn't it interesting? I, I was driving down 118th on the way to church today and there was this guy taking his dog out and I kid you not, the dog was smaller than this lion. <laughs> On a leash, like a little body wrap, because that's the only way you can leash that thing without beheading it. <laughs> and it's, you know, cold morning, he's got to take the dog for a walk to do its dog thing. And, and, the, guy, and the author of Ecclesiastes is reminding us that being alive 
when you take the smallest, you know, seemingly insignificant animal, think about your dog and what that thing means to you. Alive is better than a stuffed lion, the, the greatest animal in the animal kingdom. You go to a taxidermy place or a display and you're like, wow, that's an impressive lion. He ain't doing nothing. And you certainly don't have much of an emotional attachment. He doesn't make any difference in your life. But that little puppy, right? That little guy at your house, the one who still tears things up and makes a mess of things that you love to death, it's better to be alive. All right, I'll put this guy away so he doesn't distract the rest of you. And your girls are gone now, so we're okay. All right. Being alive is good. Look what he says. When you're alive, verse four, you have hope. You have things to look forward to. Verse five, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no, they have no more reward in this life. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. While you're alive, there are things to look forward to, hope. While you're alive, there are things you can do, like a puppy dog. While you're alive, there are things you can know. While you're alive, there are things you can experience. Being alive is better than being dead. Yes? Aren't you glad? Sometimes I'll talk to an older person and see how they're doing. They're like, hey man, I'm above ground. Being above ground. Outside of being with Jesus, better than being below ground. That's what the author of Ecclesiastes says. But then he goes farther. He says this, everyone dies but life should be enjoyed. Look at verse seven. So go. In light of the fact that it's better to be alive, go. Eat your bread with, just seeing if you're awake, eat your bread with, joy, thank you, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, your conflicted, frustrating, sometimes empty life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in the grave, right? That's the idea of the word sheol, sheol here, to which you are going. How should we enjoy life? Well, the verses tell us we should enjoy life's pleasures. When the Bible says food and drink, it's saying even the little things, right? Anybody ever uh, driving to work and you hit all the green lights on the way to work? Anybody, anybody besides me find like that makes me smile? Anybody struggling the reverse? I do. Life is full of all these little things that are there for us to enjoy. Like the guy with the tiny little dog that was taking him out this morning. Like, it's full of all these little places to smile. Kids are great at this. They say stuff and you're like, that is so funny. That's so adult or that's so weird or that's so, there's just tons of places to smile. Enjoy the little things, whatever they may look like. He says, embrace every day. Do you see that in verse six or verse eight? Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. This is the opposite of like, fasting and mourning in sackcloth and ashes. The, the opposite is to wear clean clothes and put oil in your hair. See, hair products go back. Embrace it all. My wife, it drives my wife crazy um, when my son wants to leave the house without his hair done. 
I'm trying to tell her it's not that big a deal, but I'm losing every day. And I'm pretty sure that by the time Tim becomes a teenager, he's not gonna do his hair at all, ever. (laughs) But there's actually something in that in my wife's heart, right? She won't let him go out with a spot on his clothes. Oh, she's here. Can you go back out? (laughs) Oh, junk! (laughs) Crud. Let's pray. (laughs) But there's actually something in her mama heart there, isn't there? That she wants him to go out into the day prepared and ready. And and in her own words, probably like not like a ragamuffin thrown together. And and God is saying to us here, like, get dressed every day. Iron your clothes. Get your hair done. Be ready for whatever that day has in front of you. Don't just mope and throw it together through life. Enter it with joy. Embrace your life. Number three, enjoy close relationships. Look at verse nine. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Now, some of you aren't married, but you have friends. You have close relationships. You have family. Isn't that a gift? Enjoy it. And then it says, apply yourself to anything you do. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do. Do it with your might. Can I help us all? And you're, you're probably discovering this. You can't do it all. If you have six hobbies, how many of them do you do well? If you have three jobs, I know sometimes that happens in a season of life, right? We had friends, and man, praise the Lord for them, but they had 13 kids. Do you know at that point you really don't have one family, you have like sections of family? And then your older kids are actually parents to the younger kids. It's an interesting dynamic. They're good people, they love the Lord. It's weird. There's only a certain amount of things that you can do well. So when the Bible says whatever you do, do it with all your might, apply yourself to it. Do it with all your energy. It's saying go for it. Wherever God has placed you, don't do things halfway. So I have a simple question this morning. Do you actually enjoy life? Remember what Jesus said? In the world. You say, no, I don't because it's hard. In the world you will have tribulation, hard things, trouble. But what? Get through it the best you can. Hang in there. Heaven is coming. Just muddle through. Is that what Jesus said? In the world you will have trouble. But what? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Are are you known for your cheerfulness? Do you know Christians should be known for their gladness, not their sadness? Christians should be known for their gladness, not their sadness. Say, but the world is a mess. Sure. It has been since Genesis chapter three in the Garden of Eden. People sinned and it went bad. And so do we. I would also add this, it doesn't rhyme, but Christians should be known for their gladness, not their scaredness. Do you know Christians have a reputation in our culture today, evangelical Christians broadly, for being conspiracy theorists who are anti-world? You say, no, we're great people. I'm just telling you. We shouldn't be known by what we're against and terrified of. We have a savior. 
and we should be happy. You say, I don't know, was Jesus happy? Listen to Hebrews chapter one, verses eight and nine. He was, by the way. It says this, but of the son, Jesus, so this is the father speaking, God the father. He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You do the right thing. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. People follow Jesus. Have you ever seen it? People follow people, who's perpetu- anyone who's perpetually sad? I bet Jesus was a lot happier than you think he was. I bet he told a lot more jokes than you think. I bet he laughed a lot. I bet he was full of life. Think about it. So much of our like discouragement and activity is tied to our sin and our struggles. And Jesus was free from that. Did he experience sadness? Absolutely. Is weeping a part of our lives? Absolutely. But I would say on the other side of the coin, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness. So I'm just, I'm just inherently a negative person. Wow. Well, you should let the spirit control you a little bit. Well, I'm just a glass half empty person. Okay. Enjoy life. Third thing in here in Ecclesiastes. Everyone dies and both life and death are unpredictable. I had a book here. Oh. I was going to recommend this to you. One of the chapters is actually called The Indestructible Joy of Jesus. <coughs> it's by John Piper if you enjoy his writing. And it's called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. You would enjoy Short chapters, short book. Thumbs up on that. If you're trying to read 100 books, this is a add it to the list. It's a good one. Good, uh, even leading the Christmas season for reflection. Everyone dies, both life and death are unpredictable. Look at verse 11 and 12. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in, or like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So regardless of a person's speed or strength or wisdom or smarts, Time and chance happen to everyone and we don't know our time. Have you seen this? That people that you think would be incredibly successful and their company idea is amazing, it doesn't work out or something happens. And then death is unpredictable, isn't it? Just this year, I went to the funeral of a guy. He was, I think, in his mid-50s and we were very close friends in Steamboat where we lived before. He's a skier. He probably went to the gym three times a week, lifted, you know, worked out. He, I remember he drank like this disgusting shake every morning. It's like his thing. And he, he was incredibly healthy. Better, like he could outski me all day long every day. They had just, uh, I think they had one grandchild, a couple grandchildren, just entering that stage of life where you get to enjoy the fruit of your labors. He started feeling crumb and he went to the doctors and they started checking him out and they were trying to help him with his pain but they couldn't get under control. And then they did a full body scan. His name's TJ, TJ Sisto. And they discovered when they did the whole body scan that his, his insides were riddled with cancer. 52, healthy, strong. They go, um, we don't know how long you have, but you should go make plans. 
His kids flew in. He had two adult children who didn't live there. They flew in. And in 10 days, he was gone. Life is unpredictable. And death. Last thing here, everyone dies. And here's another happy reality. Most are quickly forgotten. Verse 13. (laughs) I'm telling you, sunshine today. Verse 13. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. And it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it and a great king came against it and besieged it and built siege works against it. This city is in trouble. But there was found in it a poor wise man and he by his wisdom delivered the city. What a cool story. Look at the next phrase. Yet no one remembered that poor man. He's like the Bilbo Baggins of his day with no movies to be made about his life. We played the name game with the teens at a youth activity the other day. And one of them, as they're, by the way, just choose a name, try to remember, and and then try to figure out who picked that name. It's always a fascinating exercise. One of the teens picked Nikola Tesla. Wow, that was very cool. Do you know when Nikola Tesla died? You probably don't, I had to look it up. 1943. I feel like he's forever ago. 70 years. And I don't want to break it to you, but probably none of us are Galileo, or Copernicus, right? Athanasius, Augustine, David Livingston, Martin Luther. I got a friend who's doing incredible work serving the Lord in Zambia. It's incredible what God's doing out there. But we're largely going to be forgotten and relatively quickly. That, that ought to feed us a little piece of humble pie, by the way, for the you-can-change-the-world world that we live in. But even though it will be forgotten, living with wisdom is so good. Look at verse 16. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, even if nobody gets it. Then verse 17, the words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. I think we've had some loud, foolish rulers at times. Wisdom is better, the author says, than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. You know what the author of Ecclesiastes has just done for us? He's helped us to live well in light of death. He's helped us to to know that life is better. You know, maybe there are some of you in this room who have had thoughts about ending life because it would just be better to be dead. Do you know what God wants to tell you this morning? It's actually not. It's better to live. It's a gift from God every day to breathe and have friends and eat food and and enjoy life. Maybe some of you have kind of parked it into I'm gonna be sad till Jesus comes. Don't do that. Enjoy your life while you live. You say, but there's some messes in it. Welcome to the club. Every single person here has messes in their life, myself included. But God wants you to enjoy it. And even though it's unpredictable and even though we will be forgotten, there is something to learn. But I wonder where this leaves you. Give me that next slide, Josh. How does this wisdom leave you feeling? If this is all that God has to say to us about death, how do you feel? 
And anybody a little disappointed? Anybody feel like this is incomplete? Like there's something missing? Hint, hint, everything we sang about this morning. Right? Because, give me that next slide. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Even though this is what Solomon or whoever wrote Ecclesiastes had as a picture of death, it's not all that we have, is it? Go to 1 Corinthians 15. We're not going to read this whole chapter. Certainly wouldn't do that to you at 11.05. But can we look at the beginning? Just like the uh, last chapter we were in started with death comes to all, this one starts with the heading, the resurrection of Christ. Look at chapter 15, verse one. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it is, verses three and four. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus died for our sins, By the way, sin is the thing that brings death. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died for our sins. In accordance with the scriptures, did everything the Bible said he would do, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The picture of death that we have doesn't end where the author of Ecclesiastes ends, does it? It doesn't stop there. Jesus lived, he died in our place. The perf- he was the perfect sacrifice, the one we could never be because we're a mess on the inside, all of us. He died, he paid for sin, he was buried three days to show he was really dead and to fulfill everything the Bible had said about him and then he rose again. And listen, people, I don't care how tired you are. I don't care what that extra hour of sleep did or didn't do to you. I don't care if you're warm in this room or cold or snoozy or whatever. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Absolutely everything. Because we're not just trying to figure out how to live before we die. There's something beyond. the one greater than Solomon has come. And we live in reality of the empty tomb. God is the one who works in deaths and resurrections. Nobody else does. I was thinking that before this moment in history, there are some glimpses of this idea in the Bible, but there's really not much. In fact, the first resurrection happened after the death of Solomon if he wrote Ecclesiastes, isn't it? Right? When, was it Elijah or Elisha? Always get those two confused so you can feel good about that with me. Lloyd, you're here. Elisha? He's not helping me. All right, I thought he might. <laughs> Dean, do you know? I should not do this. Dean, do you know? Elisha? I think Elisha it was that raised the widow's son. Yes. Yeah, first resurrection. But now, we live after Jesus. We understand that death is not the end. And the author of Ecclesiastes got this a little bit, right? We'll all stand before God. But because of what Jesus has done, we live with hope in the face of death. We live with future 
But I would encourage you, that doesn't just mean this is a life to be survived. That's the point of what Ecclesiastes is telling us. Everyone dies and will one day stand before God. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Everyone. Me and you and everyone. That's why whether you believe it or not, what God says matters. And everyone dies, but Jesus offers eternal life if you'll trust in him. If you'll admit that you're a sinner and believe in who Jesus is and ask him to be your savior, he'll save you. And the grave and ultimately eternal judgment will not be the end. Give me that last slide, Josh. If you were to read a little further in 1 Corinthians 15, you would read these words, as in Adam, all die. And then these great, this great phrase, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Everyone dies, but Jesus is alive. And so Ecclesiastes gives us wisdom for today. You should listen to it. I should listen to it. And Jesus gives us hope for today, for tomorrow, and forever. Let's pray together. You can bow your heads, close your eyes, nobody looking around. I wonder if you would say today, we'll have our musicians hang for a sec. Why don't you wait just a sec? I'm gonna pause you for a minute. Just find a seat, thanks. I wonder if you would say today, Matt, I may know you well or I may not know you at all, but there was something in what God's word had to say today that really hit me. I'm pretty frustrated with life right now. I'm kind of ready for it to be done. But I needed to hear the wisdom of Ecclesiastes today. And would you ask God to help me take it to heart and to walk out of this room different than I came in? Are there any of you who would say that? Something hit me today. Just lift your hand quickly. You can put it right back down. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to tell anybody. Great. Maybe you would say today, I don't have that sort of relationship with Jesus that you described. I I don't know what's going to happen to me after death. I'm actually either scared or I'm not sure I want to know. But I realize today that there is hope Right? We're Gospel Hope Church for a reason. There is hope no matter what has happened in your life, no matter what you've done, no matter the things that you've struggled with, there is hope in Jesus. He died to pay for all of our sin. It's a free gift, but you have to take it. You have to accept, you have to receive, you have to trust in what Jesus has offered. And we'd love to try to get together with you sometime this week or whenever it's convenient for you and just talk some more, answer questions. We're not trying to force anybody into anything. But the Bible has the answers you need. It has the truth for your soul. Anybody out there that would say, I I have some questions about eternity, about my future. I'm not sure I know what's gonna happen when I die, if I'm honest. Anybody like that? You'd, You'd be brave and raise your hand real quick. You put it right back down and just say, that's where I am. God, thank you for your word and that it is something that reaches our hearts. This is a a deep truth, but it's one we need to hear about. So thank you that you have not left us in the dark. And please take each of these lives, each person here who's got questions, and would you, as you have for thousands of years, answer them. Answer them right where they are through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.